Well, good morning. <laughs> it's great to be with you. <laughs> I'm Will Davis, and I serve as the campus pastor at our Stono campus. But it's always great to be with you all on a Sunday morning. I consider you all to be family. And to my Stone Oak family who's watching this, I prayed for you all this morning. I thank God for you, and I love you. My wife, Kara, and I have been married for almost 20 years. We celebrate our 20th anniversary in January, and that decision to marry Kara was, outside of trusting in Christ alone, the most important and greatest decision of my life. But that decision was made before we said, I do, at the altar. I had this peace from the Lord that she was the one. And the decision was more than just, I think I want to marry this person, but one of, I can't imagine my life without this person. And then I remember walking into a jewelry store in Austin. And the guy behind the counter takes out several engagement rings for me to look at. And I don't know a lot about diamonds. I didn't then, and I still don't know much about them. (laughs) But the guy behind the counter begins to educate me on what to look for in diamonds. The four C's. Carrot, cut, color, and clarity. And then he takes out this piece of black velvet cloth. And suddenly those diamonds placed against that black backdrop begin to sparkle and you can see now with so much more clarity and color all of the beautiful facets and cuts of those diamonds. Their brilliance was on full display against the darkness. We come today to a passage of Scripture in Luke 23 and 24 that is the epitome of beauty and glory against a backdrop of darkness. And as we are nearing the end of our series in Luke, I want to say thank you to Roger and many of our other pastors who have done a fantastic job in our series But everything in the gospel of Luke has been pointing us to the cross and the resurrection. And it's this truth of the resurrection that should define everything that we are and all that we are to be about. Let me pray at this time. Father God, we thank you for this glorious passage of Scripture 
that speaks of the greatest truth ever told, the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. It is so essential to our faith. And there is no greater event, no greater day, no greater miracle. And it bursts with beauty in the shadow of the cross. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that if there's any here today who has yet to allow this truth of the gospel to penetrate their hearts and transform them from within, would your Spirit, Father, call them to yourself and to saving faith today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we saw last Sunday, Jesus died a humiliating death alongside two thieves. Humanly speaking, it was the darkest of days, and nothing else remained but his burial. As the preacher G. Campbell Morgan once said, man's last and worst was done. The king was dead, and from now on, only tender hands would care for him, and only loving eyes would see him. But there are two things that did not happen to Jesus after his death. First, instead of facing the burial of a common criminal, a wealthy man intercedes so that Jesus could be given a proper one in a tomb that had never been used. And we see this prophesied in Isaiah 53, the glorious prophecy of the suffering servant, Messiah, who in verse 12 was to be the one who would pour out himself to death and be numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many. And verse 9 of Isaiah 53, his grave would be assigned with wicked men, but he was with a rich man in his death. And we'll, re- we'll meet this rich man in a moment. And two, the second thing that did not happen after his death, not a bone in his body was broken. During a crucifixion, Roman soldiers would break the legs of the criminals to speed up their death. And in Christ's case, the Sabbath was about to begin at sundown that Friday. So any work of preparing and burying the body had to be done before sundown. And as Pastor Roger reminded us last month when we looked at that Passover Seder dinner, the Passover lamb prepared for the meal was to be kept whole. Exodus 12, 46. Nor are you to break any bone of the lamb. Jesus was to be that perfect sacrificial lamb of God. And his bones were not to be broken. His body was not allowed to see corruption. And he was given the burial of a king. And we see an unlikely person lead this effort. Joseph of Arimathea, the wealthy man spoken of in Isaiah 53. 
when Christ was born and let out his first cry. Another Joseph, his earthly father, was there alongside Mary to tenderly receive this newborn into the world and wrap him in swaddling cloths and place him in a manger. And now, some 33 years later, as Jesus takes his last breath and cries out from the cross, it is finished. Another Joseph is there from Arimathea to tenderly receive and take down his body, wrap it in a linen cloth, and place him in a tomb. Luke 23, verse 50. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. Joseph was a member of this supreme court called the Sanhedrin. Seventy-one men who had unlawfully tried and sentenced an innocent man, Jesus, to death. But even before that, they had been conspiring to kill him for some time. In John 11, this council convenes and says, if we don't stop this guy, all will believe in him. And the Romans will come in and take away our place and our nation. And then we see Caiaphas, the high priest, step in and say in John 11:49, you know nothing at all. You do not take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die. For the people. And then John eleven fifty three. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. But even amongst this overwhelming force of opposition in the Sanhedrin, there were those that believed in Christ, secret disciples and followers of Jesus, like Joseph. And Nicodemus, that we meet in John chapter 3. Joseph is described here in Luke 23, 50, as a good and righteous man who is waiting for the kingdom of God. We see a similar description way back in Luke 2, when Jesus was just eight days old and presented at the temple. We meet two people, Simeon and Anna, who are described in similar ways as Joseph, righteous people who were waiting and looking for the kingdom of God. And like Joseph, they believed Jesus to be the fulfillment of that waiting. They believed Christ to be the expected Messiah. Verse 52, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock 
where no one had ever lain. Since Joseph had some clout and prestige and wealth, he was able to approach Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. Pilate had already washed his hands of Christ, and he agrees to this request. And then out of love for Jesus, Joseph sees that Christ is carried to the garden and buried in Joseph's own private tomb. And in a very small way, we begin to see the transition from humiliation and darkness to light and exaltation with these events surrounding his burial. We don't think about the positive elements surrounding his burial as often because of the blazing manifestation of his glory that follows at the resurrection. But here we see great care for his body. Verse 54, it was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. All four gospel writers provide specific details about his burial to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ really died and he really was buried. And I love the role that these women play in this resurrection account. They should inspire us all. Women are featured more prominently in the Gospel of Luke than in any of the other Gospels. Against the backdrop of the cross, we see these women who stand out as brilliant lights and examples of devotion and faithfulness to Christ. The women are present as Jesus hung and died on the cross. They are the ones that linger behind because they don't want to leave him. They are there as his body is brought down and prepared for burial. The disciples have all scattered. But it's these faithful women that remain as his body is placed in the tomb. And they go to see where the tomb is so they can return later after the Sabbath in order to further prepare and anoint the body. Chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn. What a glorious word to start chapter 24. But it's like when we get bad news, like there's been a car accident, but already you feel a little relieved. But everyone is going to be okay. Imagine if you are reading the Gospel of Luke for the very first time and you read how God took on human flesh at the Incarnation, 
and came into this world as a helpless baby in Luke 2. And this extraordinary child grows up and increases in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and with men. And then he presents himself as the long-awaited Messiah. And this extraordinary God-man has control over the physical and spiritual realms. He can calm the seas and give sight to the blind. He has the power to cast out demons and raise the dead to life. He has the authority to forgive sin and save the lost. And he calls people to follow him, to come to him by faith. But those in places of authority and, and power, these religious leaders, they feel threatened by this man claiming to be Messiah. They had hoped for a Messiah who would overthrow the Romans and lead them to military victory. But this was not the victory that Jesus had in mind. This is not why he came. Jesus came to die for the sins of humanity, past, present, and future. Fully, freely, and forever. And he came not to conquer the Romans, but through the cross to conquer sin and death so that we might have the victory of salvation and eternal life in him. But then imagine if you can, reading Luke 23, verse 46, for the very first time, and you don't yet know how all of this is going to turn out. You've never heard this story before, and then you read what appears to be Christ's final words as he's dying on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. That's it. He's gone. This man who just a week before had been welcomed into Jerusalem by the crowds and they're waving palm branches, branches and shouting out, Hosanna, which means save, save us now. And now perhaps some of these same people a week later are standing there with Pilate and Jesus. And this time they're waving a fist and shouting, crucify, crucify him now. And the people get their wish. But it was all part of a bigger plan. Something had to be done about our sin. And Jesus stepped in and paid that penalty that we owed to God because of sin. And he died for us. And he was buried. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. As the church, our belief in the resurrection is not simply because of an empty tomb. It's not simply the lack of a body. 
that is at the foundation of our faith. No, our faith rests on the witness and the testimony of those who had seen the risen Christ. Post-resurrection, he appeared first to the women. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to Thomas. On one occasion, he appeared to over 500 people. And as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.8, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So this testimony that we see in the New Testament is not based on rumors or speculation, but on the eyewitness of accounts of those who had seen Jesus with their own eyes touched him with their own hands, heard him with their own ears. They had spoken with him. They had eaten with him for those 40 days before his ascension into heaven. But before all of that, so far all we know here in verse 3 is that there's an empty tomb. But the fact that the stone had been rolled away gives us that first indication of the resurrection. And of course, Christ didn't need the door to be opened in order for him to walk out. The stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let his followers in. Come and see for yourself that what this man said is all true. It all came to pass. Christ suffered. Christ died. Christ was buried. And now Christ is risen. Some skeptics say that perhaps the women had gone to the wrong tomb. But they knew the way. We see this in chapter 23, verse 55 that they had gone to see where the tomb was on Friday so that they could then come back on Sunday. The Old Testament laws regarding the Sabbath prevented them from coming to the tomb on Saturday, but now they are back to further care for the body. And we see another piece of evidence for the resurrection. There's no body to anoint. Verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. One of my favorite moments of the year here at Wayside is to stand before our congregation on Easter Sunday, which is coming up, and knowing that believers around the world are also gathering like we are to make the same exact confession of faith as we say, He is risen, and you respond with, He is risen That was pretty good. <laughs> we'll consider that a warm-up for Easter. He is risen indeed. And the women bow before these angels, and the angels ask, why do you look for the living among the dead? 
It's a rhetorical question. Why are you looking for a man who is alive? Tombs are for dead people. And the living Jesus is not here. And then the angels deliver. Fittingly to these faithful women, these devoted followers of Christ, the greatest news ever told, the three greatest words in our English Bibles, He has risen. Imagine if the angels had just stopped after that first part of the verse and simply said, He is not here. That would leave all kinds of room for assumptions and and more questions. Well, where is he? Was his body stolen? What happened? No, they are very clear. He has risen. And the angels continue in in verse 6. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. These women had returned to the tomb first thing Sunday morning. But the purpose for them being there to further anoint the body is quickly forgotten. Because there's no body. And then the angels remind them how Christ himself had predicted several times what would happen to him. We saw it in Luke 9.22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And the women remembered. These women who had come to the tomb dejected and discouraged and depressed now leave with a song of praise and joy in their hearts because Christ is alive. And not only were these faithful women the first to hear this glorious news of the resurrection, they are also the ones to first profess the gospel, to declare the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and was buried But he rose from the dead to give us life in him. He is our alive and risen Lord and Savior. And we should never tire of that truth. It should never grow old or stale to hear it and to profess it. Because it is saving truth. That reminds me of an interview I did once with a couple in our church who was wanting to become members of Wayside. And I asked the husband and wife to share how they came to faith in Jesus. And the wife tells me how she trusted in Christ in her late 30s, years ago, in another church. It was during a worship service 
one Sunday when she knew that she wanted to come forward to receive Christ whenever the gospel invitation was given that day. But to her disappointment, no invitation was given. So she had to track down the pastor afterwards and tell him, I wanted to trust in Christ, but you didn't give an invitation. But the pastor said, let's pray right now. And she put her faith in Christ right then. You don't have to walk down the aisle to receive Christ. It's simply placing faith in him that brings you into the family of God. And you can put your faith in him right where you are at, right at this moment, whether sitting here or sitting up at Stone Oak or standing in the back or lying down, listening to this on your phone at home, wherever and whenever God calls you to himself, don't ignore it. Don't silence it. Don't put it off. Respond in faith right at that moment, just as you are, right where you are. And this woman pursuing membership then went on to tell me that this is one of the things that she appreciates about our church is that Pastor Roger or whomever is behind this pulpit is every Sunday preaching the gospel. And although we don't make a a formal altar call, we do invite people by grace alone, through faith alone, to receive Christ alone as Lord and Savior and accept that free gift of eternal life in Him. We share the gospel every Sunday because you never know whom God might be calling to Himself today. Perhaps it's you. When the women in Luke 24 share this news with the disciples, these guys were a little dense. They were a little slow. As somebody once said, why did nobody expect nobody? Like Thomas, these disciples, they needed to see it, to believe it. Verse 11, but these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. The women tell the disciples what they had seen and heard, but it appeared to them as nonsense, a word that means idle tale. It seemed just a story that was too good to be true. Perhaps for these disciples, the thought of opening up their hearts to the possibility that Christ was still alive would make it that much more painful if it weren't true. I'm sure it was hard for these disciples to fathom Jesus coming back to life because they had just witnessed the brutality of his death and the finality of his burial. And so they can't believe it yet, but they couldn't dismiss it either. Verse 12, but Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Peter hears this report, and it's the most amazing thing he has ever heard. Peter has had a rough couple of days, as he denied three times, 
that he knew Christ. Peter had given up everything to follow Jesus for three years. And all Peter can think about is that final look that Jesus gives to Peter. As Peter curses and shouts, I don't know this man. But as Roger reminded us in that message on February 17th, and I encourage you to go back and and listen to that, failure is never final for the follower of Christ. On Sunday morning, the women return from the tomb and they breathlessly report that it was empty. And Peter, impulsive Peter, he has to go see for himself and so he takes off running for the tomb. And sure enough, as he stoops and looks in, he sees just the linen wrappings are lying there. And he goes home amazed at what has just happened. And the world would never be the same again. We are here today as the church because the tomb was empty. And more than that, we are here because Christ walked out of that grave. And even more than that, we are here because faithful women shared that good news. And then the disciples, and then the Apostle Paul, and then other believers over the last two millennia, and then whoever shared the gospel with you. And now you are called to go. The baton of the gospel has now been passed to you. The dawn after the darkness should be what causes you to breathlessly go to your neighbor, your coworker, your classmate, and give them that news. He has risen. Would we all have that sense of urgency? As another pastor once said, we ought to be living as if Jesus Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back this afternoon. And despite whatever darkness and despair you might be facing today, it's this sparkling, glorious truth of the resurrection of Christ and the hope for the one to come that shines light and life into your darkness. Easter is coming. It's just four weeks away. A day we refer to as Resurrection Sunday. But to some degree, every Sunday should be seen as Resurrection Sunday. Because when we gather here or there at Stone Oak, wherever you might be around the world listening or hearing this message or seeing the message, we gather as a community of believers because of the resurrection. Because Christ is no longer in the grave. Because he is alive. Because he's coming back. Because he is with us. And we can't believe this to be true and simply do nothing. It's too glorious to keep to ourselves. Like a diamond, it's meant to be on full display 
So let's share it with others. And as we share it, let's share the gospel with clarity, with color, with great passion and excitement, and with conviction and authority from the word of God, and with an invitation to come. Come and see the empty tomb. Come and see the risen Christ. Come and see what Christ has done. And then go and tell. Let's pray. Father God, as we celebrate the resurrection today and every day, we profess that you, Lord Jesus, are indeed the Son of God. You are the resurrection and the life. Just as you claimed to be. And as we read in Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his or her own way. But you placed upon your Son the sins of us all. And now, Jesus, your sacrifice for us, your work of salvation is complete. And all those who trust in you and come to you by faith today can now walk in newness of life because you are alive. You are risen. And you impart resurrection power to all those who are in you. And there's no greater day than today to come to you, Lord Jesus, in faith. And if we have already done so, would you now fill us with your word and the love of Christ as we go and declare the gospel with great clarity, color, and conviction And by invitation, invite all all those around us to come and see your beautiful greatness and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.